All right. Yes, this has been a week. Um, this uh, <laughs> this book selling launching process has been quite an odyssey, and um, I have decided that writing a book is much easier than trying to sell one, and uh, it's also much more enjoyable. Um, just this this uh, whole promotion process is is not my cup of tea, but uh, I was determined to really try this time, and uh, we got a really good team working with us and. But it was months, months of planning and strategizing and, and then working on the graphics. And, and they made me do videos, and I hate that. And, you know, just uh, the, the, all the writing, the scheduling, the planning, everything that goes into this. I really got an education watching people who knew what they were doing, trying to put something together that actually had a flow and a continuity and built up to a certain date, you know. And then we kept having technical difficulties, so we had to kept, keep rescheduling that date. I think we rescheduled three or four times. And so it was just one thing after another. And then as I was actually trying to publish the books up on the Amazon platform, it was just glitch after glitch after glitch. Have you ever tried to talk to tech support for Amazon? Or Google, or Facebook, you know, or I guess other phone company, any of these big monolithic companies. It was just ridiculous trying to get through and get anything fixed. But we finally got it to the point and we launched it. And there was social media and there was email and there was a website that needed to be created and there was a free chapter. All these things that they did, just trying to make people aware of what's going on. And then launch day comes, right? <laughs> and then I start getting calls from you all saying that the review that you were trying to put up was being blocked by Amazon or that it wasn't being posted by Amazon. And so we're trying to deal with that and make that happen because it's all about the launch day and, and trying to get the numbers up and do all this sort of thing. And, and it is a kind of a game, you know, trying to get the numbers up. If it can get to number one status, if it can stay there long enough, there's a chance that it'll get exposed. And so all of these are part of the, the process and it is the focus of the marketing team to try to make this happen. And everything I was reading was, was exactly along these lines. And it's just wearing me out, you know. And then as launch day is coming, I get the call from the marketing team. And they're actually on the East Coast. It was a, a group that we got connected with through a mutual friend. And they said, okay, we just hit number one new release, you know. And it's like a dopamine hit. Have you ever have you ever uh, heard or read about social media? And every time you you get a like, it's like this little dopamine hit. It's literally digital heroin. I'm telling you, it ju- it just it hits you. So it's like, wow, that's really cool. And then a few hours later, it's like, oh, we just made number one bestseller. Now these are in in categories within Amazon. So it, it sounds a lot better than it is, but it's it's still something that really makes a difference to their algorithms. But they update them hourly. So you're on a roller coaster ride because it's like, okay, we're number one. Now we're number three and number two. And it's up and down. And so it's like the Lord giveth the dopamine and the Lord taketh it away. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I had an, uh, the editor, one of the editors that I worked with early on in the book, uh, he, he uh, messaged me and he saw he had seen the the status on Amazon, and he was just congratulating, saying it was great to see you at it, number one. Now, I just hope that it can last long enough to actually have a chance to catch fire. And that's really the whole deal, you know, 
Can we get the numbers up and can we hold them long enough so that it has a chance to catch, that people see it and the, the circle of readers grows beyond our own little community and, and warm market, which is, I mean, you all are driving this right now. And so it's like, yes, can we keep this long enough so that it becomes meaningful is really, I suppose, the word. But meaningful to what? Well, of course, to sales in the market. And I think that's what I was struggling with all day long. As I'm going through this process and I'm getting these highs and lows and everything, and of course just the fatigue of this coming to a culmination after so many months, where's the meaning in all of this? What does it really mean? And we're playing with numbers here, we're doing this, we're doing that, but what does it mean? Well, obviously I believe in this message. I believe in this message and I want it to get out to as many people as possible. But it's so easy to get caught up in the process too. And just get, you know, it, it's, it takes on a life of its own and it's just kind of a streamroller that goes down the track and, and you're caught up in it and you're, you're getting lost in the process and, and all that ADD kind of busyness and, and the, the dopamine hits. But it's all so fleeting. Hourly updates, remember, you know, whatever happens lasts for 60 minutes and then it's something else and something else again. Is the meaning moving with the dopamine? Is that really what's going on here? What is actually meaningful? And in the midst of all of this, there's this little small voice in the back that's saying, work the process. Work the process hard. Be committed to the process. But remember, it's only a process. (laughs) It's just a process. The process doesn't really contain any meaning in and of itself. So where's the meaning? Where do we go for the meaning? Well, I wrote all the meaning that I had to give into the pages of that book. I certainly tried to put meaning there. But once the book became a product, then it didn't have meaning anymore. Now it's just a product and a process. And then many of you who have done advanced reading or now have read parts of it have said back to me that you're finding meaning there. And that's great. You know, there's meaning being transmitted here. But that meaning, that profound meaning, was really an experience that I had with God, an experience that I had with others that gave me something to be able to write about. Right? That was the first meaning. Then I had something that I could actually write about But there was much more meaning that I experienced that couldn't be put into words. Because what I could write about was the process that I experienced that led to meaning. And I could write about the effect that that realized meaning had on my thoughts, on my attitudes, and on my actions. But I couldn't write anything about the meaning itself. That can't be put into words. It was for me alone. I can't say it, I can't transfer it, I can't bestow it, and you can't buy it, no matter how many Kindle versions you buy. It can't be transferred. But, just in the same way, any meaning you take from the book, or any book, the Bible included, that's for you alone, and can't be expressed or communicated as such. We can talk about the process, we can talk about the effects, But the meaning is just for us.
And yesterday, things finally started to quiet down. The launch was Thursday. So Thursday and Friday were pretty crazy. Yesterday finally started to quiet down a bit. And Marion and I slept in all the way to 7.30. That felt like sleeping in. I don't know if that's late for you, but it felt late to us. And I had coffee with a really good friend, and we sat for a couple hours, and we were just able to talk. And we talked about all sorts of things. Yeah, we talked about the book a little bit, but the cool thing was that the conversation was just pinging all over the place. And it was just a great time to just sit and to be. And then from there, I came here, because every Saturday, I get to clean the church. Yeah! I reset the church. You know, there's nothing like cleaning coffee stains that puts things back into perspective. You know what I'm talking about? And... It may sound a little weird that I'm doing it, but it was my choice, and I really wanted to. I remember Jeff, and some of you remember Jeff, our our co-founder. He used to set up the room before our Tuesday night services, and he would do it all by himself. And you know, he always had these kind of this Bedouin taste. It was like Persian rugs and all this stuff and incense, and he'd put this stuff out. But it was kind of his meditation time. It was his quiet time. And that's what I'm finding that I get for hour, hour and a half here. All by myself, you know, it's just quiet. I'm just rearranging chairs and cleaning. And now, you know, OCD me, I've got this process. I've got this rhythm. I've got this plan. And I know what order I do it in. So it's almost like I'm on autopilot. And I can just, my body's moving. I know what I'm doing. And yet, I'm having this time to just kind of float above myself and just be present and the whole week, the whole weeks, the months before we're kind of playing through. And I was just kind of aware of them as they were going through. And I was thinking about these past few days and, and the book and all this activity. And then this idea of meaning came back in. Where is the meaning? Where is the meaning? And just that time of silence, just doing the things that I do here, stuff started bubbling up, you know. Kind of like those slow bubbles that come through the mud at Yellowstone. You know, it's that, it was just bubbling up and coming up and popping into my consciousness. And I started thinking about the things that really were meaningful. This marketing team, it's, it's, a, it's a great team. It's just a, it, it's like working with the United Nations. Every one of the team members comes from someplace else. It's so interesting. Uh, they're, they're based in Alexandria, uh, West Virginia. And the, the owner, the, the, you know, the head honcho, his name is Zev, Zev Wexler. And his name in Hebrew would actually be pronounced Zev, Zev. And it means wolf, and he's very proud of that. Um, but he's from Israel, and he has a slight accent, you know, but he's thoroughly American at this point. I remember one time he was in, uh, he was in Israel, and he called me, and I'm talking to him on the cell phone, and it was just like this surreal experience. I got this little skinny thing pressed up to my ear, and I'm talking to someone in Israel. Does that ever strike you, how incredible that is? I remember I was texting Megan, our daughter. She was going to Norway. She's on a plane over the North Sea going to Norway, and I'm texting her. It's just like, what in the world? This is crazy. But I'm talking to Zev, and he's in Israel, and he's a really tough businessman, really savvy, tough businessman. But as we have started to, as we have continued to work together, and he's gotten to know more about the effect and what we do and me, we've gotten really comfortable. And he's called me now just about tough things that are going on in his life. And wanting to just talk through them and bounce things off me and just, you know, the, 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 the sticking points where, where he was at. And we've, we've just gotten to the place where we become friends. And it was his birthday on launch day. 
you know, November 14th was also his birthday. And, of course, he's working and, and doing his thing. So I called him just to say happy birthday. And uh, we ended up just, just talking for five or ten minutes just about stuff. And he said this was his first birthday that he was going to be spending without his kids. They were in Florida. And that was kind of hard for him, but he was going to do this. And, you know, it's just turned into a connection point, a warm connection point. I have a friend in Alexandria that I didn't have before. And then there's Monica. Monica is uh, our main contact. And Monica is from Bogota, Colombia. Really heavy accent, you know, and that, uh, that you can sometimes not really hear through. But she is smart as a whip. And she knows her job. And she knows digital media and, and social media and all this stuff. She's amazing and, and how she works. And she laughs at me when I try to speak Spanish to her. And so we have that going for us. And... Uh, her birthday is next week, and she was leaving for Hawaii to, to go spend a week there for her birthday, and she's never been there before. And so we were working really hard this week because she needed to get everything done you know, before she left. In fact, they called me at quarter to ten this morning, and she's still working on stuff, trying to get it wrapped up before she leaves. And uh, I asked her what island she was going to, and this is my turn to laugh. Because she said, well, I don't know, but it's got... And I can't even say the way she said it. It was something like Waikiki, or, and then she was saying, "I think it's on Oahu." <laughs> it, it was just perfect. But she knows me so well now. She knows my aversion to video. She knows the things that that I, my resistance points, and she tries to push me to get me to break through those. But, but she also has workarounds when she knows that she's hit a stone wall with me. And, and I know her. I know when she's stressed. I can just hear it in the phone. And I know just to keep the conversation short, just give her what she needs and let her go, you know, because and this, this working relationship has kind of have formed that is part telepathic. And it's just it's really interesting. And then there's Akash. Akash is from India, and he has an even thicker accent. You know, I'm always asking him to repeat stuff. And he's the tech guy. He's the tech specialist. So you know those guys. You know, they're, they're all kind of brains and, and thinking in terms of grids and squares and things that I don't think of in terms of all. And he was very stiff and very formal at first. But as we kept talking and getting to know each other, there was more and more of that falling away and just starting to, to get more comfortable. And then I saw a Facebook post of him in a tuxedo standing next to a bride at a wedding. And, his, you know, I'm thinking, and, and I see he got married. And I thought, how did he get married? You know, I didn't even know he was engaged. You know, that just had not come up. But here's he's smiling. And so I send him an email, and I'm congratulating him up and down and telling him how beautiful his wife is, his bride. And, and uh, you know, just, we just wish you all the happiness for all the years to come only to find out he was a groomsman. <laughs> it has become this running joke with us. <laughs> I told him, make sure you don't get married until at least Monica gets back next week because he's the one who's left in charge. And we're just going back and forth with this. And it's just become, you know, it's, it's like he's a different guy and I can understand him so much better now. And, uh, and then he did a video. Uh, I don't know if it was what I called an Instagram story, I guess. Uh, he did this little video. And I know it's his job to say nice things about me. But I think a lot of them were true because that's the way I feel about him now as well. You know, he was talking about the book, but he also said that he knows me. And it was just this great connection. And it's amazing because he's so much more 
there's so much more personality on video than there is on the phone with him. I was just going, is this the same guy? Because he was great on camera. And then there's David. Now, I've never actually talked to David. David is one of the art directors, and David is Asian, probably Vietnamese from his last name. But uh, he's the one who has spent hours and hours looking at the video, like the one we're shooting right now. Um, The video feed goes to him, and then he's been clipping out little bits and putting them up on social media and doing all this stuff. So he knows the sermons better than I do at this point. But Monica told me that she was having a conversation with him. And he's Buddhist. He's Asian and he's Buddhist. And he said, but you know what? After watching Dave, I think if I were ever to have a pastor, I'd like it to be Dave. You know? And again, it was just one of those comments that came back, not to pump myself up, but just to show that a connection has been made. All these connection points from Israel to Colombia to India to Vietnam, you know? And then there's all of you. And everybody that I was interacting with all day Thursday and all day Friday, all those messages, whether we were trying to solve a problem and get through it, or whether you were congratulating me, or whether you were just saying, I bought a book, yeah, I left a review. Amazon didn't take it, but I left it. (laughs) And it was just another whole slew of connection points. All these connections And it was just an amazing experience. A book, right? A promotional campaign. A book launch. Where's the meaning in any of that? Where's the meaning? Y'all know about Maria Montessori? You ever have a kid in a Montessori school or anything like that? Yeah. She has a great quote that was actually the whole premise of the, of the string of schools that she set up. And that is that play is the work of the child. We're looking for meaning here. Maria says, play is the work of the child. Let me read a little bit of what she says. Play activities are essential to healthy development for children and adolescents. Research, research shows that 75% of brain development occurs after birth. 75%. Only 25%, and then the rest has to happen outside. The activities engaged in by children both stimulate and influence the pattern of the connectors made between the nerve cells. This process influences the development of fine and gross motor skills, language, socialization, personal awareness, emotional well-being, creativity, problem-solving, and learning ability. The most important role that play can have is to help children be active make choices, and practice actions to mastery. They should have experience with a wide variety of content, art, music, language, science, math, social relations, because each is important for the development of a complex and integrated brain. Play that links sensory motor, cognitive, and social uh, emotional experiences provide an ideal setting for brain development. If play is the work of the child, toys are the tools. Don't you love that? Toys are their tools. Through toys, children learn about their world, themselves, and others. Toys teach children to figure out how things work, to pick up new ideas, build muscle control and strength, use their imagination, solve problems, learn to cooperate with others. See, we look at a child's play. I mean, we call it child's play, right? 
dismissively. It's child's play. Yeah. But we look at a child's play and we pat them on the head and then we turn to our serious adult matters because that's where significance really is, right? That's where meaning really is. We imagine that our books, our politics, our causes, our campaigns, our finances are where real meaning is, not in the play. And we get all caught up in it, both with our dopamine and our traumas. Richard Rohr puts it really well. Let me read a little bit of what he says. He has a great line about the tasks within the task. He writes that religion and various models of human development seem to suggest that there are two major tasks for each human life. The first task is to build a strong container or identity. The second is to find the contents that the container was meant to hold. Okay, got that? First half of life, you're building the container, the platform, the identity. Second half of life, what do you put in that? What really is that container supposed to hold? The first task we take for granted as the very purpose of life. That's what we think. This process of the book, that's the purpose of it. That's the whole enchilada. And this does not mean that we do it well, but because we're so focused on it, we may not have even attempted the second task. During the first half of life, we invest so much of our blood and sweat, eggs and sperm, tears and years, that we often cannot imagine that there is a second task or that anything more could be expected of us. It takes much longer to discover the task within the task, as I like to call it. What we are really doing when we are doing what we're doing. We had to do the wanting and the trying and the achieving and the self-promoting and the accomplishing. In the second half of life, we start to understand that life is not only about doing, it's about being. Most often we don't pay attention to this inner task until we have had some kind of fall or failure in our outer tasks. Right? You got to get to the point of powerlessness. You got to get to the point of vulnerability. You got to get to the point of humility. You got to get to the point where you realize that you are not in control. The illusion of control is what blocks us from ever finding Jesus' way, from ever being able to really enter into kingdom. But when we fail, when we fall, when we go to our cross, whatever it happens to be, that's when everything becomes possible because the curtain is pulled and we can see that the emperor has no clothes. We can see that the process is not the end and the meaning, that there's something within it that we're supposed to understand. If the agenda of the first half of life is social, meeting the demands and expectations of our circumstance that our circumstances ask of us, then the questions of the second half of life are spiritual, addressing the larger issue of meaning. The psychology of the first half of life is driven by the fantasy of acquisition, gaining ego strength to deal with separation, separating from the overt domination of parents, acquiring a standing in the world, but then the second half of life asks of us and ultimately demands relinquishment. Relinquishment of identification with property, roles, status, provisional identities, 
which will in the end be experienced as a newfound and hitherto unknown abundance. It was Meister Eckhart who said that the spiritual journey is much more about subtraction than addition, a nice short way of saying exactly the same thing. We spend the first half of our life acquiring. We we spend the first half of our life completely identified with the process of acquisition. But then, if that break comes, that midlife crisis, whatever happens, or if we just start to run out of steam as we get older, and we realize there's a whole other vista out there, and it begins with the laying down which was the whole premise of the book. Jesus tells us, sell everything that you think you know. Sell everything that you cling to for support. Sell all of your riches, all of your possessions, and come follow. It's the only way that this works. That's where the meaning starts to set in, where we can really see what is important, what is happening within the task that we're doing. What are we really doing when we are doing what we are doing? The child is playing, but the child is really learning the skills that he or she needs for the first half of life, right? The motor skills, the socialization, the problem solving, the imagination, and the adult is working. But what the adult is really doing is learning the skills needed for the second half of life, the humility, the vulnerability, interdependence, Connection. We're never just playing or working. You realize that, right? I know I've used this before, but it's like wax on, wax off. The cruddy kid, he's not really just waxing the car, is he? He doesn't know that, and it bothers him after he waxes the car and sands the floor and paints the fence and does all of that until he realizes the skills that he has learned in all of that doing are exactly what he set out for at the beginning. And the wise master had him do those tasks without understanding their connection to the task within the task so that he would do them well without prejudice, without what he thought he knew that would muck up the pure motion. Why do we have to enter life as a blank slate? Why do we have to, each child, have to start as if he or she were the first child ever born? Doesn't that seem counterproductive to you? Wouldn't we, shouldn't we be able to learn and have something that comes over in our DNA somehow so we don't have to start just at ground zero? But that's the point, isn't it? If we thought we knew something, and when we do think we know something, that's what's mucking up the process and the system. The child is the one who comes to the task completely pure, with a beginner's mind, and can do that thing purely, without anything messing up the process. And then the adult comes in and can finally make the connection and see that the task within the task, they've already got the skills. It's in the muscle memory. They're doing it. They thought it was all there was and the purpose of life and the meaning of life, only to realize it was just the outer shell that contains what it is that we're here to do. We're never just working or playing. We're connecting. That's the whole point. And if we think that we're only working or playing, then we're missing the whole point of what we're here to be doing. Can you see that? Can you see how we get lost 
in the process. We get lost waxing the car. We get lost sanding the floor. We get lost selling books. And think about whatever it is that you do in life. How important is it to you? How identified with that are you? And it doesn't mean that the thing that you're doing isn't important. It's vitally important. If you're raising children, what more important thing is there on the face of the earth than to raise a child? But if that's all your identity, if all you are are your children's mother or father, what happens when the nest empties out? Who are you then? We have to see that there's something within that, deeper than that that connects us heart to heart with each other. If you really think about it, this whole world that God has created for us, this whole universe that God has placed us in, is like one big Montessori school. Think about that. You know, you walk into one of those schools and it's all decked out, it's all set up with all the bright colors and all of the things that attract children, engage children. It has everything that their scientific research has shown them is really going to be able to launch this child the way this child is supposed to be launched. You don't think God is a better program director than that? What he has done is created a universe that gives us all of that, all of the bright colors all of the things that we need to stay interested, stay engaged. But we have to understand that what we are doing here is the outer task that is giving us the skills to be able to do the inner task. We are learning what we need for a deeper purpose, and we can't lose that. or We lose everything about life. One big school for us to learn how to connect And how to love as God loves. That's why we're here. How do we do that? What is the purpose of a book? (laughs) The purpose of a book is to connect a writer to a reader. That's the purpose of a book, isn't it? What happens in those pages as you read them? Where do you go? What plays in your mind? You know Stephen King, who wrote about on writing? He wrote a book called On Writing. He calls it telepathy. He says writing is a form of telepathy. He said, all these scientists trying so hard to prove that telepathy works. He says, all you need is a book. He says, here I am in my safe place writing this right now. And it won't be published for at least three years, two or three years. So wherever you're sitting right now reading this, I am connected to you in my safe space to your safe space. This mental connection, telepathy. I can paint a picture here on this page and it lives in your mind. What's the purpose of a book? To connect a writer to a reader. It's the same with the Bible or any other book that you read. The purpose is to connect. What is the purpose (laughs) of a promotional campaign for a book and a book launch? Well, of course, the purpose is to sell books. But look at what happened in the course of this particular campaign. It connected an Israeli, Israeli, a Colombian, (laughs) an Indian, a Vietnamese, and all of you and me together in a way that we couldn't have imagined before. It was working hard on the project that brought minds and hearts together. 
It was working hard on the project where we saw more of ourselves revealed than would have been revealed maybe in any other way. Because when we're really pushing and pulling in the same direction and working hard and caring about this task right here, even though maybe it carries no intrinsic meaning, it doesn't mean anything in and of itself. But if we take it seriously and we work together, we're learning something about the task within the task, which is everything. Yeah, there was a meaning to all of this. But I had to get below what it was that I understood about the process when I started. I suppose, truthfully, if no one ever read a page of this book that I have written, it still has meaning already because of the process of writing it and connecting through promoting it. Confucius says something that is perfect. We all have two lives. And the second one begins the moment you realize you only have one. Think about that for just a second. I didn't pull scripture this morning. What I did was is I put just a series of quotes, including that one, on your inserts. All about meaning in this sort of way. Some of them are going to be more on point than others, maybe. You may get some more than others. But if you get a chance, just read through them. Think about what it is that you do all day long. Think about how much importance you place on it. Think about how identified you are with that work. And think about how stressed you are, how much that dopamine and trauma rides you across a roller coaster each day. Because if we can start to see the task within the task, see how everything that we do is working toward that deeper connection, Everything starts to change. Attitudes start to change. The way you think about life starts to change. Your stress level starts to change. You find that you are able to deal with the traumas much better. And you find that you level out the dopamine hits that would take you into the stratosphere. In other words, we become much less bipolar. We come to the center, a much more centered and stable place. This is where Jesus is taking us. This is what kingdom is all about. But we have to start to see beneath the surface and see the task within the task. And then we can return to our hard work, but the tail is no longer wagging the dog. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our beautiful school. Thank you for creating everything exactly as you have. Even though sometimes it hurts, even though sometimes we wish and pray fervently that it were different, even as we try to work to make it different, help us to see the reason it is the way it is in your infinite wisdom, a place for us to be able to learn exactly what we need to fulfill everything that you've given us to do. Help us take this journey just more willingly. Help us to let go of the resistant points that keep us from really leaning in. Help us to see the unity that is in everything that we do if we will just lean into that. So thank you, Father. Thank you for giving all of this to us and never withholding anything. 
for loving us. Never let us forget. We can only do any of it because you did it first. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.